When Paul was up here, he mentioned the fact that he had recently spoken to Pastor Mike. Uh, He did not tell you the context of that conversation, and he doesn't know that I know. But I'm going to tell you. So, something rather offensive happened to me when I walked in here today. Paul walked up to me and he said, why are you here? I said, Paul, you know, um, Pastor Mike is away. It's like, yeah, but why are you here? Well, because when he can't be here, he likes to get the best pastor, the best preacher that he can to come bring the word of God. And he said, I understand that, but why are you here? And then I heard him off in the corner and he's on the phone and he's talking to Pastor Mike and he's like, that's the best you could do? Well, I tell you, I was offended and a little intimidated. So what I did is, do I, I might look a little sweaty because I, I ran back to Arsening to bring for you my annual preaching evaluation. And I'm going to read a few excerpts from it for you. Preparation. 100 out of 100. Exegesis. 100 out of 100. Theological understanding. Rhetorical excellence. Sermon delivery. And theological and doctrinal application. 100 out of 100. I'm going to read the, there's a conclusion down here. Reverend Dr. Grant, you are the most prepared and skilled preacher I have ever evaluated. P.S. Please bring a quart of milk on your way home, love, sin. Okay. All right, maybe I'm not here because I'm the best preacher around. Then, Then why am I here? I'm here because of the fellowship I have with your pastor. I'm here because of the long-standing fellowship between your congregation and mine. And it's a fellowship that is built on truth. There are a lot of ways to have fellowship. One that I'm highly interested in is apparently taking place this Friday when the men are going to fellowship around barbecue. That's a good way to fellowship, but it's not enough to build a church. It's not enough to build a faith. We need to be fellowshipping around what's real. Fellowshipping as believers around Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus Christ. A blessed man once looked at his disciples and said he wanted to proclaim to them that they too may be able to fellowship with the apostles, and he decreed that indeed their fellowship is with the Father, and it is with his Son. Jesus Christ. 
This wonderful truth about fellowship is in a letter written by a man known as John the Apostle or St. John the Evangelist or St. John the Divine or the disciple that Jesus loved. It's in the book of 1 John. All of these names refer to a man who is the son of Zebedee the son of Solomon, the brother of James, the man who was one of the first disciples of Jesus Christ. It's it's interesting because Catholic paintings depict him as a very meek and gentle man. I'm, I'm not convinced of that. Jesus called him the Borongius one of the sons of thunder. I'm not sure John was meek, and I'm not sure he was mild. These, after all, are the brothers who in Mark 9.38 wanted to call down fire from heaven to punish the Samaritans for not listening to the word of Jesus Christ. I think John was someone who had an intimate relationship with Jesus, a loving relationship with Jesus. Because he was so young, Jesus may have had a fatherly affection for him, but that doesn't make him meek, and it doesn't make him mild. He was an apostle, an evangelist, a pastor, and a prophet. And he ministered beside our Savior, for three and a half years. Now, after the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, John's timeline becomes a little murky. We really don't know much about what happened factually before his exile on Patmos. And his actions are the subject of great debates. Polycrates in the early 2nd century, bishop in Ephesus claims that John was a priest, martyr, and teacher in Ephesus. Says he died there. Irenaeus, bishop of Lyon, 2nd century, says that John wrote his epistles from Ephesus and eventually wrote Revelation from Patmos. Up in the air. There are actually, if you go into the land today in Ephesus, there are two different sites, two pieces of property where they claim John was buried. And for the right amount of money, they will take you and you can visit his gravesite. People claimed that they were healed when dust from his tomb was sprinkled upon them. They claim that they own the actual original fourth autograph of the Gospel of John. He became a mythic legend. North African theologian Tertullian claimed that John was plunged into a vat of boiling oil and came out unscathed. People proclaimed that he, just like Elijah and Elisha, was assumed into heaven. 
I'm convinced that John wouldn't care if you want to call him an apostle, an evangelist, or St. John the Divine. I doubt that he would care where you think he was buried. I doubt that he would care if you want to visit his tomb. I doubt that he would even care if you think he was fried in oil like a French fry. But I am convinced that he would be very, very upset by the notion that he was assumed into heaven. Because that's not just a fanciful teaching. It is part of a doctrine that started to exist towards the end of John's life. It's the root of something known as Gnosticism. It began to contaminate the first century. The Gnostics believed that our body was a prison from which the rational and spiritual part of us needed to escape. To be released by knowledge, by gnosis, hence Gnosticism. Serentheus was teaching that Jesus was not born of a virgin. In fact, he was not born at all. He didn't have a physical body. At his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on him, and so did Christ's likeness, and then departed from him before his crucifixion because the body is filthy, the body is contaminated, and so Jesus did not have a real body. Recognize that in the first century, it was not clear whose doctrine was going to win out. And if the Gnostics or the Docetics had won out, we would be fellowshipping in a very different way. Our fellowship would be centered on something that isn't real. They claimed Jesus was not human as well as divine. He was a phantom. A phantom being who played the role of a human. He only appeared to take on human form. He only appeared to have a body. He only appeared to have a voice. And he came into being at the baptism by John the Baptist. Raise your hand if you believe these things. If anyone does, John wants to say to you, what was from the beginning? What we the apostles heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was manifested. It was real and we've seen it and we've touched it and we testify about it to you. Not an image. Not a phantom. Not a thought. 
not an abstract piece of wisdom. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, John had spent his life bearing witness to what he had seen and heard from Jesus Christ. What he had seen and heard and touched. You cannot touch an inanimate gnosis. You cannot touch a thought. You cannot touch a phantom. But you can touch Jesus Christ. And you can be touched by the word of life. And you can be touched by Jesus Christ. It is what was from the beginning... Not that which came upon him at his mortal baptism. What was from the beginning? What was always in the Father's plan? What was always in the design for salvation for you and for me? It was always going to be a message that would come to the people of Israel to go to the people of the world. God always intended to fulfill the law through the person of the Messiah. Numbers 24 prophesied that there would be a star that would come out of Jacob, that a scepter would rise out of Israel, that a ruler would come out of Jacob, not a phantom, not a thought, not a piece of knowledge. There would be a ruler who would say in the Psalms, Israel, Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter. What's he speaking of? He's talking about Gilead, which is in the west. Manasseh, which is in the north. Ephraim, which is in the west. Judah, which is in the south. He's saying north, east, south, west. It doesn't matter. All of Israel is mine. And I will rule over it. It is the one of whom the father would say, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Not a phantom, not a spirit. It is the man, the God-man, that is Jesus Christ. And our fellowship is in him. Our fellowship is wrapped up in the things he said, the things he did, the things he was, and the things that he is. Our church is fellowship because we believe in one Jesus Christ, the wonder of all time, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Not an idea, not a concept. We believe that he was always coming to save us. That he was willing to die for us because he loved us. And because we believe the same thing, and we believe in its power and its truth and its grace, we can fellowship together. You can't establish fellowship around an error. It has to be truth. Our churches can unite because it's not an error. Because it is the truth. We do not unite around some secret ceremony or some special cosmic event, some phantom, some disembodied spirit. We unite around Jesus Christ incarnated in the flesh who spoke to the disciples in an audible voice with a corporal body that was seen with their eyes 
a physical being which they looked upon and touched with their hands. This is the word of life. John has seen it. John has touched it. And coming towards the end of his life, there is nothing more important for John than to pass on this message to the people who were believers at the time and to you and I. As postmodern Christians, we take for granted this doctrine. We take for granted that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. But it was by no means a settled truth in the first century. John had to fight for that truth. He had to fight to make sure that you and I would know the truth. That Jesus Christ came in the flesh and sacrificed himself for you and I. Jesus who had the power to heal the blind at birth. He had the power to heal a paralytic. He had the power to give Bartimaeus healing. Centurion's wife raised Lazarus from the dead. What we have seen and heard the wonder of what John had seen and heard. The wonder of walking with Jesus Christ for three and a half years. The wonder of being there when the teachings were being taught and in the quiet moments when Jesus was sharing his heart. What he has seen what he has heard, what he has touched. To be there, to see the bread of life, the light of the word, the door, the vine, the good shepherd, the resurrection and life, the way, the truth and life, what he has seen and what he has heard, he wants to proclaim to you so that you can have fellowship with him. So that you can have fellowship with the Father. So that you can have fellowship with Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, when you leave here, I pray that you will proclaim what you have seen and what you have heard. That you will proclaim that we have a Savior who came in the flesh, who died on a cross, who paid the ultimate price and made the ultimate sacrifice. Yes, so that we could be saved. But that's not what's on John's mind. Yes, so that we could be made whole. But that's not what John is proclaiming. Yes, so that we could be children of God. But that's not what John wants you to know. He wants you to know that what he saw, what he heard, and what he touched makes us one body. Makes us united. Here in Fishkill, 
over in Arsening, around the country, around the world, every man and woman and child in Christ is one. We are one body. We have a fellowship with each other. We have a fellowship with the Father. We have a fellowship with Jesus Christ. Let that lift your spirits when you're down. Let it give you strength when you're weak. Let it give you courage when you're scared. And let it send you forth from this place rejoicing, praising, and proclaiming what you have seen and what you have heard and what you have touched, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Father God, I pray that each one of us will have that real experience. Jesus Christ is not a thought or an idea. We can see and feel and hear and touch him in our spirit. Unite us with that truth. Empower us with that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us, please? We're going to sing a good hymn, Our God Has Made Us One.